Up the Creating, Living, and Making podcast. I'm your host, Grant Alexander, and joining me this week is Maker Mackie. Hello. And Yell Romblog. Oops, I mean, Morley Kurt. <gasps> Hello. How's it going, Morley? What's in your clamps this week? Well, this week, um, I miscalculated what I would be coming out with next. I know I mentioned that 10 filmmaking tips for makers video that still in the works, but um, another project that has been going on in the background is our friend Vincent Ferrari sent me a message a couple weeks ago saying like, hey, uh, Dan Roto from the Danocracy is looking for a carpenter in the greater Toronto area. He posted a story about it, so you should text him. And I did. And he was looking for someone to make him some rug tufting frames, which is something he wanted to get into. Um, so luckily he, I mean, not luckily cause Vincent told him I would be texting him. So <laughs> shout out to connections and Vincent in particular. Um, uh, yeah. So we had a back and forth, figured out it was a good fit. And so that's, it was a pretty quick project. It's something I've just kind of been working on for the last week and a half or so. Nice. And so I've been building them in the garage. He wanted two frames. He wanted one that was well, the first one he texted about was a six foot by six foot frame, which is just wow. as big as it sounds, freestanding frame to make some pretty huge rugs. And then later on, he like was like, six, six well, foot rugs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah I get it. <laughs> um, some pretty big rugs, like six foot by six foot. <laughs> yeah. Exactly that big. 36 square feet. And so then eventually he was like, well, I don't know if I'm always going to be making rugs that huge. So can you make me like a two and a half foot by two and a half foot one as well? Uh, so it ended up being two frames uh, and they're relatively straightforward. And yeah, I, I was able to build the two and a half foot by two and a half one foot completely at my apartment. It just fit into my car. Like I had to squeeze it into the back. Um, oh, wow. Just coincidentally, I built the whole thing. I was like, I hope this fits. And then it did. And then I, you know, prepped all the pieces for the larger one. I built the small one first, so I had a sense of the construction and then I could just scale it up. And I prepped all the pieces for the small one. Uh, luckily, making it had a very helpful Q&A on their episode this week when they were talking about like things to bring on an install. <laughs> and so Jimmy was talking about like, oh, got to bring like, you know, everything you think you might even have a chance of needing. Uh, so I felt very prepared for that. And... Yeah, uh, he's a super nice guy. Uh, met him at his new studio, and uh, we banged out the install. It was he has a very cute little dog named Charlie, which I got to hang out with as well. And he started a rug, uh, which was really cool when he was there. Well, I think today, as of this day of recording, he posted the rug he was working on, which is like the cartoon version of Blink One Eighty Two. If I have that <laughs> right, it's more of your guys's time than my time. Although I have listened to some blink. <laughs> uh, I have a question. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was, yeah, go on. How did you, because I haven't seen it yet, how have you uh, ensured that there wasn't any flex in a six foot long, I assume you made it out of like dimensional lumber? Yeah, two, everything was two by fours. Two by fours. So how did, did, was there any kind of cross bracing to make it so that a six foot by six foot frame wasn't going to bend in the middle? So across the span. Yeah, it's a good question. So um for a two by four, which is relatively thick, it isn't it it doesn't seem to be that huge of a span. Um so what I did, I actually just added two small um like cross braces at the bottom edge. Mm -hmm. And actually if you look at my um allow me to reintroduce myself video that I posted today. That's the part I'm assembling that part of the video. So just two yes. small triangles in each bottom corner, which stiffens it up a good deal. And the thing is, is um, all it's really holding is a stretch textile. So most mm -hmm. of the force is forwards and backwards. So I put some pretty big cross braces on the back edge of the supports. Um, if it's not strong enough, I'm 20 minutes away from his studio. So I'll go and shore it up a little bit, but it's, it's pretty stiff. Are the two by fours this way or this way? They are the weak way. They're the weak way. Interesting. But they don't sag because like a one and a half inch thick of wood over six feet is is pretty solid. I'm going to put it out there that I've seen them sagging when they're stacked. 
<laughs> yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I did a bit of research before making them. Um, it's, it's a pretty standard way of making these frames. Uh, it, it, even big ones like this. It's not like I was really reinventing the wheel. Um, so yeah. we'll see, I, we'll I see would, if it stands up. Yeah, it's, I'm sure it's fine because you're just making rugs, like you said. It's, yeah. Yeah, the way you're not you, hanging on them. <laughs> yeah, so the way you attach the, I think it's called monk's cloth to it, is pretty interesting too. So I bought a bunch of rug tack strips, which you nail to the floor when you're laying down carpet. And you nail it around the perimeter and the tacks are all angled. And you just make sure that the angles are facing out. And you basically just stab on the cloth and stretch it around. And it's like a super easy way to get it set up quickly. Mm, yeah. how, how long should that last? Like the the, the tacks? Yeah. I mean, like, do you imagine think they would eventually loose, wear away? Like, no, imagine a loose woven cloth. Like it's it's basically cotton. It's pretty. So you're not really like wearing down the spikes at all. Unless you're like hammering on them with a hammer and bending them out of place, hmm. which yeah, you shouldn't. You shouldn't be but hammering anywhere. A takeaway also was like this. Dan is uh, apparently he's been doing YouTube for like nine years in various channels. Um, so we filmed like an intro together, and he was filming there too. And it was it was cool. Like, and I've done this at High Caliber Camp and with Grant, but just like working in the same room as like another YouTube creator because we work very similarly. We're both like take advantage of every second. Like you're setting that up. I'm going to go set up a shot here. Like clearly can see the plot process playing out. Um, yeah. And he's definitely, he's definitely got his process down. It'd be very that's interesting to collab with someone in person. That's something I really wish that when we collabed and when we did the high caliber camp, I wish I took advantage of everyone else around more. Like, yeah. Getting more shots of the crowd, getting more like <sighs> handing my camera over to people. Like I have a GoPro. It's pretty easy. Point it at the thing. It's like, <laughs> yeah, those handheld shots add so much, even if it's just like a little bit of movement, you don't need anything crazy. Right. And that's sure. where like on my, what I'll be talking about. Um, I did a bunch of that with when my dad came to help. So I was able to use those shots and they were way more interesting than the shots of like on a tripod. Mm-hmm. It's funny you say that. Cause I remember once talking about like trying to, you can actually add that into tripod footage, like have the shake get added in afterwards of like someone holding the camera. And I mentioned that in Grace, like, don't do that. That's ridiculous. Yes. But it really I does add character. <laughs> but it's, that's because the problem with it is it's not real. Like no. what the depth of changing is what's really interesting. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, and you can't like, you can zoom, but zooming isn't the same as moving forward. Yeah. It's right. not, I yeah, think exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are just laying down all the things I'm talking about in this uh, 10 filmmaking tips for makers video. Yeah. Well, you, might, you, you should do like at least 11 tips. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, the things you said are both tips in it already. <laughs> well, yeah, but I said a tip last time. Uh, Adam, what have you been working on this week? Um, I have just been working on trying to work out, work out, trying to, learn new techniques for using the CNC and stuff really. Um, after Christmas, we really want to try and get this business going. So um, trying to work out how to get stuff done. And for the first time, I actually just took an SVG off Google and cut it out on the CNC. Didn't do any model making or anything. Like, I don't know why I was under the assumption that you just always had to make a model and then cut like a cut file, but it was so easy to just go into easel, upload an SVG and cut it out. And I cut out all these um, like present shapes out of three millimeter MDF for my wife to take to work for all the kids to paint. Yeah. This is yeah. nice. Really what good. were those shapes, by the way? I was trying to figure that out when I saw it. Oh, presents with a bow on top. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Like a gift box. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Turn it out. Although afterwards, my wife goes, oh, you, I, she, saw, she said to get rid of like, because on the front of the box has like squares like have like so it simulates like a ribbon and she's like oh mm-hmm. can you get rid of those and i got rid of it all including the like the holes in the bow <laughs> and she's like well you could have left the holes in the bow it's too late now yeah well but yeah you know it kids was- kids kids have a good imagination they'll figure it out it's really funny though because it's not the first time she's asked me to cut something out and i'm like it's such a process to like have to make a model and then make the cut file 
Like, it's not like you can just go in and five minutes later be cutting something. And then, like, I did it, and it took me, like, two minutes. Like it was so laser. simple. Laser. Well, that's what I kept saying. I'm like, I'm going to need a laser. But then it was it was actually really simple, like, now that I know how to do that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people are probably going to say something along the lines of, you should have started before Christmas. But I actually think that's the wrong time to start a business. For sure. Because if you get big, you have no process in place. You have nothing. You know nothing. You will make all the mistakes, right? For sure. And you're also competing with every other person. Whereas if you start it slowly, start building your process, get your, you know, mention Vincent again, getting your, like, mailing process in place and packaging and all that. Um. That's what That's my mate sent me. Thing. A um, my mate sent me a picture of someone was asking on Facebook, like local to us, of someone that's selling like wooden cutouts of shapes to paint and stuff. And he's like, "You need to do this for the business." And I'm like, "Honestly, like I'm just not ready for that right now. Like I don't have my processes down and and all that sort of stuff. Like it's a great idea, but I'm just not ready for it." Put put it in the save it for next year category. Exactly. Um, yeah, well, what have I been up to this week? I completed, finally, months later, it took longer to edit the video than (laughs) it did to do the project. I completed my bowler restoration video. I think I had eight hours of, thank you, thank you. I think I had eight hours of, uh, footage and I got it down to an 11 minute and 15 second video. Nice. And I think I actually had more. I had more footage than that, but there was a couple times where I left the camera on, so I'm discounting those like an hour of like staring at a wall. Right. There's also a lot of things I noticed that you cut out. Yeah. That you didn't really need to to add in. Like, say for instance, you replaced the doors on the cabinets. All you did was show cutting the wood. You didn't show building the actual cabinet doors, which I think was great because. It wasn't really necessary. The simple doors, people on those, like there's that many well, I made a whole, to do it. I yeah, made, a made a whole video on that. Yeah. Right. And then, and then, um, what was the other one? You, there was something else you did. Oh, like when you replace the wood on the front of the fridge and then you put the black piece above the wood, you didn't show painting the black piece because you didn't need to. Right. Which I think, you know, things like that would have saved a lot of time in the video. Well, like I sh- so I painted the fridge and I have filming painting the fridge. I painted the furnace. I have filming painting that. I made a new frame around the furnace out of oak. Yeah. I don't have any foot like I just went, you know, it none of that matter. That's where I went with like I was exactly. channeling my inner Laura Kampf because I watched a bunch of her videos and I went, she's not showing everything. She pops in little tidbits here and there. To make you, I know. Okay, so you cut some wood, you screwed it together. Now it's a door. Like yeah. you got enough of it to capture how it was made. Exactly, exactly my point. Especially with painting the furnace and stuff. Like if if you needed to make up time, okay, fair enough. Throw in the spray painting or whatever. But like if you see before and after, obviously you painted it. There's not, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't need to be there. Right. It's also just an inherent thing to like longer projects making videos, right? It's like it probably wasn't very fun for you to sand your bowler for tens of hours and you you got to cut that down. There's no other option. You have to make it yeah, look fun. Right. Well, yeah, in sanding, I think there was two shots of sanding in the entire thing. Mm. And I definitely ten, tens of tens of hours across multiple years I've sanded this stupid thing. And I think I got like, so I did a, I think it was shot at 30 times. And then I also sped it up four times. Yeah. So what is about, so, what is it about this trailer that required it to be sanded so much? So the original uh, trailer came with what's called a gel coat. And it's basically uh, applied when they make the mold. And it's like adhered to the fiberglass. And that's like the best way of doing a, like a very solid, uh, it'll look glossy, easy to maintain finish. Someone later painted it 
and they didn't use the right type of paint, and they definitely didn't use primer. So I'm sure it looks great for a year, maybe two, and then just went downhill from there. And when I bought it, it looked flat and gross and was already flaking. So I had when you have flaking paint, you have to sand it. And so I wanted to make sure I sanded every single bit of that red paint off because I didn't want it interacting with the new paint I was putting on top. You know, it's it's funny. It was so confusing watching you sanding the top and it coming up white because you expect (laughs) when you, when you look at it, you're like, okay, so he sanded it off the white and it's got this red color, but like it was the opposite and it was so weird. Yeah. The original color is actually orange and white. Yeah. So I went back to the original only is because that, I like the color orange. Is that the first time in a video you've added in the timestamps? No. Okay. Uh, so I used to do it on all my videos. And then I stopped because um, I was talking with FFD Restorations and he really changed up his thing. He used to put like the detailed timestamps. And yeah. he found that actually made his uh, his view, like audience retention go down. Because they right. kept jumping ahead to the next yeah. spot. And now he puts intro, restoration, outro. Hmm. So he still has like three timestamps, but it's restoration. And uh, so I thought that was a uh, – I, I tried not doing them. I tried doing them. It didn't seem to change anything for me. And I wanted to try this one to see if it made a, a difference. I think, see if I think it depends on the project. As well, like you get something like this where people want to see certain parts, like if they want to come back to the video and and look at a certain part, I think it's helpful. I think it makes a lot of sense for a tutorial, but for like an inspirational artistic making video, not really any reason to add it. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. I thought as a tutorial, I actually went, well, I'm talking about it while I'm doing it. So they don't need the text as as an inspirational video, I went, well, if anyone's wondering what I'm doing, there's at least that little bit of text. So I guess for my own experience, like when I'm watching an inspirational video, I want to be immersed. I don't want to have to think about the timeline or think I want to watch the whole video in a complete experience. But how often do you Google a piece of information? And you're like, all I need is like that 10 seconds where they tell me exactly what I need to do. And that's all I want. So in that case, right. for me, the chapters would make a lot of sense. And that's actually what the chapters are used for um google can pull from them so if you're making how-to content google can read what you wrote and they'll actually put you on that um because google was already doing it giving you that like here's the part of the video i think you want to watch and it was so bad so now i'm directing you to the part right Hmm. yeah anyways um it was the, the, the only negative I don't know what, no, what constructive criticism I have is I think yes. you should have linked to those videos. I did. That you have no, like on the actual, like, yeah, you have the note at the top, but I never really noticed that. But actually in the video, I'd be like, if you want to see how I made this door in the side, there's a video. I do. I did. Did you? There's a playlist. I didn't notice. I said, yeah. I, I linked to the whole playlist instead of them individually. But- well, yeah, yeah. The playlist. But I mean, like in the video, be like, like, yeah, in the description. The no, not in the description, in the actual video. So like when you're, when it cuts to oh. you putting the door in, just be like, there's a video for this on my YouTube channel. Gotcha. Or like when you put the cabinet doors up, there's a video making these doors on my channel. Gotcha. I don't know. Yeah. I don't really care that much. I get what you're saying, but yeah. Anyways, the video has been doing awesome. I'm at 2000 views, which is nice. about 1800 more views than normal <laughs> <laughs> at this point. Um, you know, How's, how is uh, the um, yeah. backsplash attached? Because it looks like you just put it there and then just wedged uh, a piece of wood in front of it. So it's that is I didn't film any of it because I was getting uh, really close to going camping and I didn't have a lot of time and yeah. it's really hard to show. But I basically uh, there's screws that go through and attach the cabinets to the wall and yeah. I just unscrewed them, drilled through the piece of wood and screwed them back together. Okay. But it's like really hard for some of the stuff. It was really, really difficult to come up with a way to show what I was trying to do. Yeah. So I just cut it out. Like I have a whole thing where I installed like the electrical and I just cut it all out. 
Mm. And go ahead, Warren. When I did the first book binding video, that like drove me crazy trying to show stitching the book together. It was like the hardest thing to film and show in an engaging way and actually see what was being done. I was like blown away at Jimmy Dresta's bookbinding video that like he actually showed it in a way where you could tell it was happening. And yeah. that was that was a day where I just like broke down mid edit and was just like like well, nothing is working. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is why at one point I was gonna have like a thirty minute video. And I talked to the makers on Zoom having Discord, Discord. Um, I, I talked on there and I was like, like how much, uh, how long of a video does everyone think I should make? And, you know, I got the standard. It should be as long as it is. And, <laughs> you know, like unhelpful. But uh, I think I think you and Austin, I think you, Morley and Austin kind of said, like, I won't watch a long video. Because, like, I, I might watch a shorter video if I'm interested, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to watch, like, a 30-minute video of this unless I'm restoring it. Like, the longer yeah, it mean, is, the more I have to be doing the thing. If I see, like, double-digit timestamps for talking 20, 30, 40 minutes, it's an immediate questioning. Like, is this worth it? Whereas if it's right. an eight-minute video, that doesn't even cross my mind. And, and that's so – I. That crosses my mind on all of them, and I watch. I watch hour. I watch like my recommendation this week is a two-hour-long video. So, wow. I watch long videos on I, YouTube. I watch a lot of hour to I mean, hour videos. The channel. Well. This channel is a pretty significant, amazing group of artists. So, I would watch. I've oh. watched multiple things by them that are two hours long. Which oh, you've watched stuff from them. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. The other thing, so to to round that out, if unless you guys got anything more, I had that was a big, stupid long project for me. So I'm happy to talk more about it. If you want to hear more, if you haven't heard enough about the Bowler Project, you can listen to uh, Making Our Way. I was on there, and we'll leave a link in the description to uh in the podcast notes or the shouts as some people like to call i was on there and i had a whole episode where that's all we talked about so if you want to hear more about that go there uh the other thing i've been working on is christmas ornaments and every year uh, i've been making little christmas ornaments and having our son paint them and uh Yeah, it's been uh, it's been fun. Sorry, they're talking, they're they're chatting back and forth in chat like jerks. Uh, talking about Gravy Honey's back. Yeah, you're, well, in front of me though, that's even more <laughs> ridiculous. Um, yeah, so I've been making Christmas ornaments, and uh, yeah, it's been fun using the lathe. But it made me thinking about making presents versus buying presents versus buying handmade presents. And I wanted to talk Ooh. about that a little bit more. Yeah, I'm. I have a couple projects I'm planning on making this holiday season, uh, which I'm super excited for. And I, that's one of the best things about making presents for people is I get excited them, excited about them, usually in a way that I don't with store bought presents. Uh, and it, it makes it more fun for the for the giver. And it's funny, like I don't think I think about it from the receiver point of view very much. Because I don't think people often get me handmade gifts. It's usually me giving someone a handmade gift. Um, but one of Eden's friends this week made her a few gifts, like some um, some kind of like uh, skincare products, like homemade skincare products and candles and things like that. And I was like, I was like, wow, this is so nice. Like they took you, like you open it, and you're like they took the time to make this, especially with things like candles, where like that really shines through. Um, and it made me, I think, appreciate it a little more. I feel like I'm the opposite. I feel like I don't think about my the gifter and I think more of the receiver and I just think like the receiver's just gonna think um I don't know, like I, I feel like as a risk I think I feel like the receiver would never like a handmade gift. I don't know why I think that. Do you like handmade gifts? I I don't know, I've never got one. Oh interesting. So when even when you mentioned that morally 
I, I try and think I don't get a, like other than Abby may, makes me handmade gifts, but I I don't get handmade gifts from pretty much anyone else. And I think it's because people go, well, you can make things. Why would you, why would I make you something? You can make it. Yeah. Hmm. And I wonder, but then I think about, so the fools with tools treasure trade, I participated again this year and I got like this awesome thing from, from Franco. Um, uh, he made this like uh, it's like a little it's an old camera bag that he put flex seal in it so it can now be a cooler and he made like a, a handle like a a saw blade into a knife and it's like a little survival kit it's really neat um, but I, I go I don't think I would ever have thought of making that Yeah, but I love it like it's something that I go. Somebody puts time and energy into thinking about something that I might enjoy, mm-hmm. and and obviously hoped I would. Like that's why they they made it, and then I did, and I, it meant so much more to me that somebody tried to come up with something they thought I would like rather than just buying me. Here's the survival tool that Amazon recommended as the number one survival gadget. Right or something yeah. like because you like yeah. camping, you must want this. It's uh, the past two years for our anniversaries. Eden has made me comics about like that year in our relationship. <laughs> oh, wow! Uh, so two years ago, it was all hand drawn, and then this year, she printed out a bunch of Polaroid photos and then kind of like annotated them and drew around them. And they're hanging on my door over there, and I look at them, and it's just it makes me so happy to look at them because it makes me remember all the things that happened within a year and how we were thinking about those events at that time. Um, which is something that you never get with a store-bought gift unless it's like so specific, like, Oh, this is like, you know, from that place we went together and it's, it's irreplaceable that way. But I think like, it's so easy to buy stuff now. Like, whereas you, you can do it like in a split second on your phone that I think it makes handmade gifts even more, um, you know, appealing. Like I think the other thing too is grant, like, if you were to buy that camera bag, if you were to pay Franco for it, how much do you think that would cost? It would, it would both like to pay him one, fairly for the amount of work that put was okay going to, to pay it. him fairly, or how much would someone like be at a like if he was making them on the and he was trying to sell them on a on a craft table? I could see it going for like, and this is the ridiculous part: it would they would undersell themselves at seventy five dollars, right? And I would okay, go, I would say well, significantly more than that. I was thinking right. like two hundred. Yeah, right. I would and say around two hundred dollars. Right, and that's what I'm saying. It's hard, but that's hard because it's not made for everyone. So, but my point is, I think that's part of the when someone makes you a gift like that, and you see that you're like this. It almost feels like magical. It's like when people talk about going into an artist's workshop and they just have their own work hanging on the walls, and you're like, how can you have these thousand dollar works just around? It's because for them, it's normal. And so when you get a handmade gift from someone, it's like you're getting a peek into, they're just kind of like giving you part of their creative output, which feels especially generous because it's valued very highly outside of gifts. I think thinking about it, that it depends. I think when someone makes something for you too, and it's personalized towards you, it would obviously have a lot more significant value as well. I've made my mate a couple of presents. Um, and it's always personalized towards him, you know, and he loves it, but right. I don't know. Okay. Now are we, uh, I, I want to switch it up a little bit and, and talk a little bit about making non-personalized presents. Mm-hmm. Because we're, I, I agree a hundred percent. I'm down. Like you make someone personalize something. It's, it's beautiful. But what about you just making you see something, you go, "Oh, I could make that," and then you make it for the person instead of buying it. It's not personalized so think, in any way. You just hmm. you just bought it. You know. I mean, I was even thinking about that category with the original question, like thinking back to high caliber camp and when people were making just batches of stuff for the ha- the trade. And every one of those things that were handmade felt like so special because, like, you, I, it, it for me, it doesn't matter so much that it's personalized. Like if it has my name embossed into it, cool. But the fact that that person took the time and the attention and the care to like make a high quality thing is, right. I feel like, 
the bigger thing. Like the, for one example, which I think is kind of cool, is this year Eden is making vanilla extract as her like batch out gifts that she's ma- giving all our friends this year, um, and like packaging it in like a nice bottle. It's it's very simple to make. You hack life hack. <laughs> if you buy vanilla beans and soak them in vodka, that's a really like cost effective way to make vanilla extract, and it's really expensive if you buy it. Um, it does it make it right alcohol? No, vanilla extract is is vanilla distilled in alcohol. That's what it is when you buy it from the store. Oh. So you can make it very easily on your own. And and it's really important right now because they were going vanilla prices, extract prices were going stupidly high at the start of uh, the pandemic with all the people yeah. baking. When I when I said personalized, I didn't necessarily mean like your name engraved in it. I more meant of like, say the camera bag had the spanner because Grant likes cars and like the saw blade because he works with wood and stuff. That sort of, that's what right. I mean by personalized. Um, but what I was going to say is what Molly was saying. Um, for instance, Grant with the clipboards for Maker Camp. Mm-hmm. If you just bought some three dollar clipboards. And handed them out, it would be like, "What the hell is this?" But because you <laughs> took the effort to make them, there's something right. there. Totally, yeah. And yeah, I guess that's true. And so like, it's a, I think it's clip, a way to clipboards, make it, make something bland more special. Yeah, and like clipboards aren't a new idea. Even no. if I think miniatures clipboards might be slightly new, you can buy miniatures clipboards, right? I just. But, but it like, could be the same with anything. Like you buy someone a pen for their birthday or you make them a pen. There's a big difference there between the board. Like, so you've made it, you've made the present better because you made it. What if I commission a pen because I don't have the skills to make mm. that thing, but I tell them what I want and how I want it. I, th- I think that's still something because you've gone to the effort to try and make it. Like you've gone to the effort to find something more, custom as opposed to just mm-hmm. buying something from a shop yeah if we title this episode uh maker gift ideas we're gonna get a million downloads i swear i logged on to youtube one day last week and <laughs> six videos in the same day were all titled like gift ideas if you're a maker it was i don't know how why it was this one particular day but it was ridiculous every year bourbon moth does a video on it and every year they recommend different tools and stuff. Yeah. And I think the whole point I'm tr- trying to get across is I don't want another tool unless yeah. it's like a custom commissioned blacksmith hammer. If I were good to get into blacksmithing or like, uh, you know, an, an engraved hand, like hand plane. Yes. I want that. Like I want someone to have gone the extra mile to get something for me. I don't. I can go out and buy exactly any like you like like Morley said, I, two clicks, and I can have everything I want at my door tomorrow. Yeah, mm. no, well, that, I think that's exactly what good. I was saying. Sorry, I was just going to say I think it's the putting in the extra effort is what makes it special. Like you've you've gone to the extra effort to find someone to make that custom thing. You've put in the extra effort to make it yourself. You you know what I mean, like. Everyone can go buy something online, but to actually try and find someone to make what you want is so much more effort and makes it that much more special. Mm -hmm. I mean, I like the gift giving philosophy of, you know, gift should be something you want, not something you need. If I need a thing, like I'm not going to ask for that thing. I might ask for the money so I can pick out the own the thing myself. But like, it's just right. that's a functional gift at a certain point. Yeah. And most things I would buy retail are functional. Like I, I guess it's also because I'm not a very materialistic person that way. And that like I don't buy like nice clothing or accessories like that. Like there aren't a lot of, um, I don't have a lot of wants that aren't very functional. I guess is what I'm trying to say. And so many of the things I I would buy for myself, I wouldn't really want as gifts, if that makes sense. Yeah, I want to I want to push on that a bit. So say Grant, for instance, last episode or the episode before, we both said that we want belt sanders eventually. Mm-hmm. If Abby drum, bought drum you sander, a, yeah. a drum sander, if Abby bought you a drum sander for Christmas, how would that make you feel? Like, does that, because that's, that's not a need, that's a want. You don't need right. a drum sander, you want one. So Abby, for my birthday this year, got me a 
cordless uh, random orbit sander. And for Christmas yeah. last year, she got me a belt sander. But so we'll go with the random orbit sander because I already had one. I had one that plugged into the wall. And I said, I would like, I'm never going to buy it. I know I'm not going to buy it because I already yeah. got one. So I would need, there's nothing like that one would have to break for me to even consider it. So that was a want. And I love it. Right. But it's not as personalized as like every year, much like uh, Eden and Morley. Abby makes a collage of pictures, um, and every year it's a different collage of in a different way of our year together. Mm-hmm. Kind of painting the picture of our year together in pictures, painting the I don't know whatever. Uh, and I love those. Like I, the first time she gave me one, I think I cried. Um, mm, yeah, just because it was like such a wonderful. It means something. It meant so much more than anything else. Yeah. But that being said, there's things that people buy me, like T-shirts that I hold on to until they yeah. literally disappear because someone bought it for me. Yeah. I also I also don't want to poo-poo on store-bought gifts. I've gotten some great store-bought gifts, and some people are really good at choosing gifts. My mom is really good at that, for example. like She's really good at anticipating something I might want but didn't think I wanted, like getting us nice sheets for our apartment. Never something I would buy for myself, and it's great that you got it for us. Um, and I think I think yeah. a lot of people have that as a very specific skill, but I think a lot of people also are not good at that. My, I don't know. I don't know how I am as a gift giver. I think I am thoughtful about it, but I think it depends on the person that on the receiver as well. Like every time Grant makes a video on making something for his wife for their anniversary and stuff, all I think is like. If I made that for my wife, she'd be like, "What the hell is this?" Like she not the kind of, she's not the kind of person that that enjoys that. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, giving experiences is something that I think I want to get more into, and I started to, and then a pandemic happened. But is instead of giving, like, a gift of here's another, you know, pot and pan set because the old ones are slightly worn, right? Like who cares? You know, if you want a new pot and pan set, go and buy it. Um, but if you, if you give someone like a concert or, a, you know, a comedy show, like I remember, like we went and saw Amy Schumer, uh, Abby and I, for our anniversary, I bought tickets to go see Amy Schumer. Great. We had a great time at that show, Right. It's the type of thing that I know we wouldn't buy, and it also doesn't take up any space. Yeah. It's also like it's it's a gift that keeps on giving in a way because when someone gives you an experience, it's so exciting when you figure out that in like two weeks or a month or something, you're going to go do this thing, and then you're excited leading up to it. So it really like – you really get your money's worth when you give someone an experience. Right. Especially if it's yep. something that that they may not have, like they may not have done on their own. Right? Yeah, like and you might buy them tickets to an art show that they may not have gone to otherwise. And exact that's exactly it. That's why I really like the philosophy of like give something someone something they didn't know they wanted or they wouldn't get themselves <laughs> because you're exposing someone to new experiences, and that's the fun thing about gifts. It's like you're you're taking someone out of their path and it's it feels special i saw this adorable tiktok last night of like a girl giving her 96 year old grandma tickets like a weekend in new york city and a weekend to go see the rockettes because she like loved it as a kid and like her reaction was it kind of made me a little sad because i was watching it i was like her reaction was so adorable and loving but then i was was thinking i was like oh there's no way the experience is going to live up to that reaction like that that moment there is like the best part of the gift well you really you brought me up and brought me down all at the same time there <laughs> not to say that the rest of it say. isn't good but i think that is that's like the best part when, when i mean i like being surprised too i know not everyone likes being surprised avocado, avocado. you don't know that video little no. kid gets mm. an avocado for christmas and he's so happy for it. That's hilarious. Yeah. 
Like he's like literally so appreciative of it. Uh, a part of Sometimes me you just wants needs to know that someone gives you something. Right. A part of me wants to get away from Christmas and presents and all that. And this, mm. because it, like, I don't want to like threaten my kid over time that he has to be good or else he's not mm. going to get any presents. Like it's such like an empty threat. Cause there's, my, my son's never going to, yeah, he's never going to be bad enough that he's not going to get Christmas presents. Yeah. Like he's, he's just not like, I don't know, just, uh, and then I think about it and I go, if he's being really good or if he's really bored, why not give him a present right now? Like why save them all up? And then they're like an explosion on the day and half mm. the gifts are not played with because a more exciting gift got given. Mm. Right. Whereas I, I if a, you'd um, g- I had a friend growing up, he was a Jehovah's witness and they don't celebrate right. Christmas or birthdays or anything. So they just get presents like throughout the year. Like if they do something good, they get a present. So it's so. yeah. interesting. Yeah. It, like I always find, so I didn't celebrate Christmas growing up because I'm Jewish and we celebrated Hanukkah, but I still had the same experiences of getting presents and getting excited for them. You know, there's no, there's no part of Judaism or Hanukkah, which is like, if you're not good, you're not going to get presents. It's kind of just, you know, your parents are giving you the presents. There's no mythical creature who might be giving them to you. There's no Hanukkah monster. Um, but something I, I would like to do with my own kids is try to impress into them, like how good it feels to give a gift at a young age. Cause I think in Western culture, this kids are like so into getting presents and they're brought up that way and conditioned that way. But you only learn as an adult how good it feels to give gifts. And as a kid, that sounds like a platitude, but it's true once you get older. Especially once you have kids, like watching your kids open presents is to me so much more than me get opening my own present. I would rather watch my kids open presents all day than open one present. Hmm. I, and this is why I think giving them over time is so much better because you get like, oh, um, I, I get almost nothing out of the kids ripping through all the presents as quickly as possible to see what they got. Yeah. Right. Or they get to like, like I remember when we opened up our Nintendo 64, the other presents Nintendo. didn't matter. Yeah. We, yeah. we weren't allowed to have a, that was our very first game system was a Nintendo 64. Before that, we were not allowed to. Like, I grew up, Nintendos existed. Super Mm. Nintendos then got released. Weren't allowed it. Sega, nothing. No, sorry. We got Nintendo 64. It blew our minds. Um, And I just remember, like, the rest of them didn't matter. We literally raced to the TV to plug it in and start playing. So that was great, but the rest of the presents didn't matter. And I don't want to, I don't know. I'm sure as like my parents would have preferred to see us open up all the presents and like waiting till Christmas. Like my mother is coming tomorrow and she's probably going to be bringing presents or like, even if she's not, whatever, but I'm going to give her a present and she's going to tell me, oh, no, I have to wait. I have to wait until Christmas to open this. And I'm like, but then if you wait, I don't get to see you. You're here now. Right? Yeah. You're I, here for I a week. That. And then you're going to take this present back and you're going to open it up on Christmas Day and go, oh, what a wonderful present. I'm like, right. And I missed that. Yeah. So this, I like, also, this date is meaningless to me. I also hate opening presents in front of people. So. Because if you don't like it, <laughs> yeah, I do too. I never know how fast to do it. I never know how to act and like how to respond <laughs> to what I get. I'm Fair. With you. Well, on that note, I think you should be thankful when you open up, no matter what. Mm-hmm. But I want to be thankful and thank our Patreon supporters, especially the F Clamp level Brent Jarvis from Clean Cut Woodworking and Vincent Ferrari from. Handmade by Vincent Ferrari and Because We Make. If you want some handmade gifts, you can get them from Vincent Ferrari. It's probably too late to get them for Christmas. If you want some tools, you can get them from Brent from Clean Cut Woodworking. But 
if you want to support us and give us the gift of making this podcast and feeling good, I don't know where to go with this, but you can support us by going to patreon.com slash clamp and you'll get access to a pre-show, which if you're listening here and we had an actually really good pre-show this time. So if you don't normally listen to the pre-show, jump back and listen to it. You also get access to the after show where we continue the conversation and sometimes talk about secret stuff. And you get the gift of a handmade stamp from the one and only Morley Court. Morley Ooh, yeah. Kurt. Court. Um, and it is court. And it is uh they're numbered. So everyone St- who supports us. Is. Stamped keychain, or you could use it as a luggage tag. You, said, you could do you whatever said sta- you want with you it. You said a handmade stamp. I think two more people yeah. will oh, be yeah. number 20. <laughs> we're, we just oh, wow. sent out 18. So if anyone wants to be luck- lucky number 20, you'll have to wait right. until another person gets it, and then you can be number 20. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, or you can like get you we'll and get your two. wife to support. There you go. Um, or you and your partner. Um, on that note... Let's go into Clamendations. Clamendations! I'm going to start it off this week by recommending everyone go watch Firebringer by Team Starkid. It's a musical uh, theater, as we mentioned earlier, but it has one of the funniest songs I've ever seen. And I've been seeing it on uh, for a while, and I finally went and watched the entire uh, thing. But it's uh, I don't really want to work today. It's an hilarious song about like these cave people trying to uh, get a day off. Um, it's pretty early on in the thing where you can just look up. I don't really want to work today, and it's hilarious. Um, you should. Everyone should go watch it. It's funny. It's awesome. Grant, have you seen a Harry Potter musical? I have not yet. I've never oh read Harry Potter. God, I've I've never seen the Harry Potter movies. Okay. I don't know anything about Harry Potter other than it's a thing. So you might not appreciate it very much, but I guess I'll say for the listeners, for anyone who's a Harry Potter fan, the same production company, Star Kid, um, many years ago, when I was in like middle school, put out a musical called A Very Potter Musical. And it's like a comedy musical based on Harry Potter. I think it was one of their first productions. And Darren Chris is in it. I don't know if he's still with Team Starkid, but he's a relatively famous actor now. And I think that's kind of how he got his start. And it is hilarious and pretty good songs as well. It was one of the, I had an iPod video at the time and it was like the only video I had downloaded on it. I had, cause it was wow. in a parts, so it was on YouTube. So I had like part one, part two, part three, part four. And I would, I would just always watch a very Potter musical. It is absolutely fantastic. I think the entire thing is now available as a single video. So you don't yeah, have to watch it. They got rid of that 10 minute limit. <laughs> yeah. And um, they came out with a sequel called a very Potter sequel, which is also really good. It's a, <laughs> it's, it's cool. Cause it like kind of makes a new plot from Harry Potter, like combines some of the stories together. Uh, the second one diverts even more, but they're really, really good. Yeah. They've, so they've got tons of, great um like adjacent thing so the next one i'm watching is twisted it's a story of a royal vizier it's a story of jafar from aladdin like told from his perspective as if he's the the good guy in the story um and it's really funny and the, the interesting part is that the musical theater uh at the college that i can like see from my front door is putting on a rendition of this musical. So it's really cool. You can actually now apparently get all these different things and like license them to put on your own show, which I think is awesome. And one day Mm -hmm. when there's no pandemic and the kids are old enough to be babysat for an extended period of time, we will be heading out to something like this because I think it'll be fun. Nice. It's. I mean, it's funny. You don't. I guess most people don't think about it <clears throat> very often. But that's how most, you know, shows or writers end up making a living. Is they they license it out and other people perform it. It's not like a movie where they can people just keep buying it. You have to have other people put it on. And this is so. Uh, Firebringer was actually a Kickstarter project. It was funded oh, on Kickstarter. 
based on obviously the fame of a very Potter musical and, and their other stuff. And then on top of that, it's got 4 million views on YouTube. So it's likely made them a little bit of money that way. Cause yeah. I can tell you from my 2000 views, that's at least $8. <laughs> <laughs> so do the math there. That's four four $4 per thousand views. They're doing good. Nice. Potentially. So speaking yeah. of Harry Potter, Last year, just around this time, I think, Eden and I uh, were reading the whole Harry Potter series out loud to each other, which was awesome. Like we both had read it independently as kids. And so we kind of got to re-experience the magic together as adults. Um, And it was great. And then at a certain point, we were like, maybe by the time we reach the last book, the pandemic will be over because we started reading it around the beginning of the pandemic. And that didn't happen. And we didn't read a book together again for a while. We started a nonfiction book, um, a Jane Jacobs book. And Jane Jacobs is this very uh, interesting urban planner, uh, very involved in Toronto. If you want to learn about her, I'll link her in the show notes. But it just didn't hit the same as like a fantasy adventure book. Um, So Eden recently bought a book with the express purpose of reading it together. And it's Zorro by Isabel Isabel Allend. like Zorro is an old story, but this version, which was written in 2005, is I think kind of an origin story about Zorro. We're only about like 60 pages in, but it's really good. And it really hits well as like an out loud red book. Um, and, and, you know, if you don't know the story of Zorro, you know, it takes place in like between Mexico and California sort of like superhero, not really superhero, but vigilante origin story. And it's, it's great. Um, mm. I don't know a ton about it yet because I didn't really know about it before Eden got it, but it's like great adventure. It's really beautifully written. It's written in this really cool, like I think almost the whole thing is third person. It's like almost like someone is telling a story. There's very little dialogue. And so then they'll be like, and then three years older, these people are reunited. So it kind of reads like a fable in that way, which is really nice to read aloud. So if you're looking for a book to read with someone, Zorro by Isabella Land, I would definitely recommend. I, I think it takes part in Spain, not Mexico. Uh, well, the part we're reading right now takes place in California and Mexico, but they're Spanish colonizers. Yes, and then they go it's back like to Spain. the late 1700s. Okay, so yeah, spoiler, cool. Grant. Thanks. <laughs> Do you not know Zorro's story? Come on. I, I I think I've only seen the uh, that movie that came out in like the two thousands. So that's all I know about Zorro. The one where they had a white person play a native person, because that's what they always do. Anyways, sorry. Go ahead. Go. Don't don't mind me. Uh, go oh, ahead. I, I was muted, but I also wanted to say on that note, it's oh the book. This book does very well in in actually being true to its native origins. And it's mm. very super, super interesting hearing about all of the customs and the history of the tribes around there. So it's also oh. like really interesting in that respect. Well, sounds interesting. I'll ask for it for Christmas. <laughs> well, I actually changed my collectmendation this week because of what Grant was talking about. So I'm going to collectmendate a movie called 8-Bit Christmas. Mm. It has uh, Neil Patrick Harris in it. And it's him telling his now daughter, like not in real life, his daughter in the movie, his story of when he was a kid trying to get an original Nintendo when it first oh. came out. And it's it's interesting because the Nintendo came out and then like the whole community decided to ban them because they were violent or something like that. And it's... Yeah. Oh hello! Yeah. Oh, you got we we got kids joining again. Well, that's really interesting. I haven't seen that. Yeah, oh. it's really good. It's on uh, HBO, I think. Oh, cool. Yeah. Nice. Well, every week we do one of two things to end the podcast. We either have Adam give us an Australian word of the week, or if we have a review, we give. Uh, morally the chance to read a review in a random accent or not random picked by the reviewer and on that note it's time for morally reading a review 
Okay, so I did my homework this time, um, and I'm still scared. Don't tell, don't tell people what the accent is until it's the end. It's going to be a hard one. It's a five-star review. All right, here we go. Clomp is an inspiring podcast hosted by three lovely and supporting guys. They cover a wide range of topics like making art, music, being organized, and mental health. Not only are they talking very openly about, oh, I slipped into British a little bit there. Not only are they talking, oh, slip back into British, very openly about what is going on in their lives, uh, but support others by giving very helpful tips, mentions, and shout outs. What separates Clam from other podcasts in their niche is the very generalist approach and the super broad spectrum of topics they cover. If you aren't an insect, I feel like two people have said that. If you aren't an insect, and I have no idea what they're referring to. <laughs> and into listening to uplifting podcasts, you should definitely give it a try. And then he says, at Morley, if you're going to read this, please do it with an Austrian accent. And then in all caps, no German, which scared me because my original Austrian inclination was to go full German. And then he says, P.S. I'm assuming this is in... Is, I don't think Austrian is a language. I think they speak German. No idea what that means. I think Grant's about to Google Translate. Let's see, Grant. Well, you didn't sound angry, so I'm going to say that's not German. Yeah, but Daniel doesn't sound... So this is from... uh, uh, That was a joke. I'm assuming Daniel Ublais from Multi Awesome Studio. And he's like a very mellow-sounding guy, in my opinion. It's an Austrian slang word for the tail of a squirrel, often used to proof if someone was Austrian because Germans couldn't pronounce it. (laughs) So, yeah, like I mentioned, I was watching some Austrian accent videos, and I think watching those videos made this harder than if I just hadn't. Because this video is like every word sounds different. So if it sounded stilted, uh, that's why. So do you guys know anything about this whole if you aren't an insect thing? I feel like two people have said this. I thought it was a misspelling. Grant, any ideas? I don't know anything about it. Okay. Nothing. If anyone knows this joke that we're not a part of, let us know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, thank you so much for the review. That was, it was very nice. And, uh, you know, so nice. It was like almost a gift, really. So if you want Morley to uh, to read a review in any accent of your choosing, and he will butcher them all, uh, or not all of them. Sometimes he does a good job. Uh, write us a review. If you put it on anything other than Apple, um, send us a message, because Apple is the only one that really for some reason we can get the reviews easily through a, a review aggregator everywhere else kind of goes into the ether unless I happen to check it. Um, so if you've written us a review and you, and we haven't heard, read it on air, send me a message and, uh, and we'll do it. Yeah. We're currently up to date as far as we know. So as far as we know, um, I want to thank TF turning for the new theme song. So, that blah, blah, was blah, blah, an blah, blah, exciting. Blah. Yeah, it's, we're going to rock out with a new TF Turning theme song now that we're 80 some odd episodes in. Squad. I want to munch. Squad. Okay. Yeah. Enough podcast and a podcast. <laughs> enough podcast and a podcast references. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah. uh, anyways, if you want to find us, you can find us all. Uh, by searching clamp on your podcast provider, but that's how you already got here. Uh, you can search us on Instagram, find the clampstagram. You can find us on clamp tube. And I think we got a, a clamp editor and a clamp book out there. Um, just think like a scavenger know, search. Hunt. Yeah. It's a scavenger. It really is. It's a scavenger hunt. If you could find us there, you can find anyone anywhere. You're an investigator <laughs> and until next time. <laughs> cheers and have a great day. See you. Bye. Bye. Three, two, one. <clears throat> Fucking hell. <laughs>
<laughs> I was going to mute, and I was like, no. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Clamp, the creating. Oh, I'm going to do that again. <laughs> uh, way to end a free show. Oh. <sighs>